Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all our dads and grandfathers and great-grandfathers out there. Well, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am glad each and every one of you is here today. Whether you're just visiting uh, from out of town or first time here or you've been here forever, I'm really glad that you're here. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you as our Abba Father. Just like a little baby, we can call you Dada. And at the same time, we come to you as our Father, hallowed be your name. So we can be close to you and yet distant because we stand in awe before you. Both of those are true. And we thank you on this day. Many of us have the privilege of being earthly fathers, and we say thank you for that blessing. And many this morning look and reflect and are so thankful. For others, Lord, it's a hard day. There's loss, there's pain, there's separation, there's distance. So we come before you today and we say, Lord, give us what we need today. May we rejoice together, may we share in pain together. Whatever we do, may we do it together. And Father, as we look out and we think of even our nation's history and what this day commemorates, a formal declaration of freedom. And there's so much in that, and as we look back, we're, we're thankful for that, <clears throat> and we can celebrate that. And at the same time, we know there is much work to be done to make our world, our society, our community look more like your kingdom. So we pray today that you would give us what we need, and even as we think of these special days, they point to a greater reality that we can call you Father and that you give us freedom, true freedom in Christ. So we thank you for these blessings. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher as we sit under the authority of your word and we invite you to do the work that only you can do in our hearts and our minds this morning. We continue to pray for our, student, our family pastor, TJ, and his team as they lead our kids at camp, and we pray for each of those kids, and we also think of so many that are there who, who don't have community, who, who aren't attached to a church, and we just want to lift them before you and say, would you bring them closer to you and closer to your community? So be with us now, Spirit. Be our teacher. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been disappointed by a gift that you have received? Have you ever been disappointed? Be honest with yourself. Don't be all hyper-spiritual. Have you ever been disappointed by a gift that you have received? I can think of two. Only two. One, I was a little kid, and, I, and, and it was Christmas, and my aunt got for me a pair of Superman underoos. 
the little underwear with the Superman thing, which would have been all well and good, except I was 13, <laughs> and I had just started to shave. So that was a little bit, <clears throat> it was an early mature. It was a little awkward. A lot had happened in that year since Christmas. And then another really disappointing gift. Uh, I go all the way back almost 30 years to uh, uh, Kim and me when we got married in one of the wedding gifts. And you know how, I mean, let's be honest, when you invite people to a wedding, you know that some people have different means, right? And you're looking for the people that have a lot of money, and, and it's true confessions, just being real with you here. You think those people with a lot of money, you're like, what kind of wedding gift are they going to get us? Is it going to be a big check? True confessions, that's what I was hoping for. What did we get? Waterford crystal candlesticks, which were really expensive. But what am I going to do with Waterford crystal candlesticks? I'm, I'm, we're going to go live in married student housing in Purdue. We're both in school. What, you know. I didn't appreciate the value of that gift. I tried. I tried to take it back. They wouldn't let me. At least 250 bucks. Back in the day, that was some money. But how do you receive gifts? And obviously, I'm just talking about some relative, in the grand scheme of things, some trinkets. But how do you receive the gift of the gospel? The gift of God's grace. One of the fundamental truths of our lives as followers of Jesus. As we try to live out lives of generosity is how we value the gift that has been given to us. It's how much we value, I mean really value and appreciate and are thankful for the gift of God's grace towards us. So how much do you value that gift this morning? Now, we've been in a series. And if you're new with us, I'm not going to say I'm sorry, but we're talking about how we respond in generosity. And that has to do with what we like to hang on to, and that's our money. But how do we respond with generosity? And one of the ideas that we've been working on the last couple weeks is this idea of having generous rhythms. So how do we respond in generosity to the gift that has been given to us? And we said in, in, in week one, we looked at, uh, you know, Jesus talked about money and he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And somehow these things are connected. And in week one, we said it was kind of a heart check week, and we're going to dig in a little bit. And, and I asked the question, I said, do you have get to or got to eyes? In other words, when we look out at the world and we, we, we see opportunity to give of ourselves, our time, our money, all those things, do we have get to eyes that see opportunity, or is it just always a got to obligation? And then last week we looked at some specific seek first the kingdom of God rhythms. And we talked about how do we seek first with our, with our, with our mind 
the way we see God, with our, with our mirrors, the way we see ourselves, with our minutes and our money. How does that all fit together so we're aligned around what really matters most? Well, today God's Word is going to challenge us to look forward. We're going to think about how we invest. I don't have any market advice for you, I'm sorry. All that I know is things are hard right now. But how do we invest? How do we, how do we look at what God has given to us and how do we look ahead and decide and choose what are we going to invest in? Well, as you might imagine, Jesus had a few things to say about that. And I want to take you to a passage in Luke chapter 12. So I would invite you to open up your Bibles Turn on your Bibles, whatever you do. I'm going to read from the NIV version. But let me give you a quick, um, some quick context here. Some quick, so if you're, if you're new to the Bible, if you're, if you're new to this series, let me, let's, let me get us all on the same page. First of all, this is, um, this is the Gospel of Luke. This is part one of Luke-Acts. Acts would be part two. Luke was a companion of Paul, Dr. Luke. Luke was the one who set out to say, I'm going to write an orderly account. I'm going to talk to all the witnesses, and I'm going to put this, put this down. I'm going to be a faithful historian. One of the things I love about the Gospels is we have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see different vantage points, same core truth, Different perspectives, different lenses through which these events can be reported. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. If an accident happens and you talk to four different witnesses, you're going to see it from four different vantage points. Same accident, four different vantage points. If you got four people and they're at different corners and they all said the exact same thing, you might say, hey, they all got together and collaborated. So the different perspectives actually say, oh, they bring credibility to the historical truth of the gospel. Now, in Luke 12, Jesus is teaching thousands. Scripture says they were trampling over each other. That's how many there were. There's some of the similar content we've been in in the Sermon on the Mount. Different time, again, when Jesus would teach, he would hit some of these themes repeatedly. They were trampling one another. Uh, and Jesus had this way of ripping who needed to be ripped and encouraging those who needed to be encouraged. He would always rip the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the one who, you know, the outside and the inside didn't match. He always had harsh, tough words for them. But he would have wor words of compassion and comfort for the down and out. And then he would say things like, hey, don't be anxious when you get drug into the synagogues and you go before the courts. You know, followers, things are going to happen. You don't understand it now. Don't be so anxious. The Holy Spirit's going to give you what you need in the moment. My guess is they had no idea what that actually meant at the time. So in the midst of this teaching, this happens. Let me take you to, to 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now imagine that. Jesus is teaching thousands and somebody says, hey, my personal financial problem, Jesus, is now your issue to solve. Imagine the audacity of that. Why would he ask Jesus to do this? What was he entitled to? What had he received? What does Jesus always care about? The heart. Jesus could see instantly in this question, what is underneath the question? What is underneath the request? So what does his request reveal about his heart? Well, this guy's got an attitude. An attitude that says, I'm entitled. This is mine. So what's Jesus going to say? Verse 14, Jesus replied, man... Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know there's some irony in this. Because one day Jesus will judge on an eternal scale. But in this little domestic deal right now, that's not my issue, man. I'm going to go after something deeper. Whenever you see an encounter with Jesus... When you see it in Scripture, when it happens in your own life, Jesus always wants to have the conversation we need to have, not always the one we want to have. And he's going to have one of those conversations right now. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Anybody have that on your refrigerator? I think I should have that linked to my Amazon account. Whenever I get on Amazon Prime, that should be my screensaver that says, hey, hang on a minute. There's a warning. Watch out. Guard against this. Now, let me ask you this morning. How do you hear those warnings? Whenever you hear one of those warnings, how do you respond? Are you open-minded and open-handed and say, oh, let me receive this instruction. Let me receive this warning. Or if you're like me, you do a little bit of this. You'd be at least a little. Say, don't just let me be for a minute. Let me be. So how do you respond? Jesus doesn't stop there. He's not going to give you just a one-line sentence. He's going to tell a story. He's going to give us a parable. What's a parable? A parable is a, literally, it's a side-by-side -side deal. It's an earthly story that's going to have some heavenly meaning, a deeper meaning, all those things, but it's something we want to put side by side with our lives. And here's what a parable usually does. It makes you uncomfortable. It's even offensive sometimes. One, one uh, scholar says it's like a rock in your shoe that you can't get out, and you always just, it's there. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself... What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What's his first thought? You've blessed me with its abundance. Thank you, God. No. Who can I be generous towards? No. What shall I do? What a horrible problem to have. I, know, I have no place to store my surplus. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store 
my surplus grain. Does this seem like a reasonable step in a business plan? Sure, right? It's not an unreasonable consideration from a business point of view. Sometimes we need more space, all those things. Don't, don't overhear this. But there's something else going on here. Jesus is digging at the heart. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The old King James is, uh, I will say to my soul, which is a beautiful way of thinking about, you know, the deepest part of who you are. But what's the mindset here? Eat, drink, and be merry. This is a pagan way of thinking. This is a secular view. This is the way the world thinks. It's the society we live in. It was interesting. I was reminded of this. uh, And sometimes we hear this and we say, that's not me. That's like all the really, really rich people. That's not me. I don't think that way and then I was driving over to my uh, uh, daughter and son-in-law's house and they happened to live in a subdivision called Carefree (laughs) they live on Leisure Lane you pass Rocking Chair Road there's a Reston Road there's even an Easy Street and I thought what you know I mean you're not going to name something you know Tithing Trail or sacrificial street, all right? We name subdivisions, and we want them to be appealing and all that, but it's interesting, and maybe I'm just crazy, but I think in these ways. I, I try to see through the lens of that. And what's, what's going on here in our culture? Well, we, we value this. We value this. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very, ni- this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What's the problem here? Why does Jesus seem so harsh? I want to suggest to us this morning that the problem here is they are investing in the dream of ease. When you invest in the dream of ease, I didn't say hoard, because nobody hoards, right? But when you invest, when you when you look forward and you say, This is what this is where my heart is going to be. This is where I'm putting my best, my best thoughts, my best resources, when I am investing in that dream, that future of ease. There's a problem. There's a problem. Now, what's the problem? Well, there's an attitude of entitlement. There's self-centeredness. There's a lack of gratitude. There's a lack of appreciation. Ultimately, it's a false dream. A dream's going to become a nightmare for this guy in the parable. Jesus calls him a fool. I don't like to be called a fool. Now, not fool in in the sense of a lack of intellectual accumulation, but a a fool on a moral scale. That's kind of the way the Bible is going to look at that. In the Psalms, Psalms 14, it says, a 
A fool says in his heart there is no God. So for this man, there's only the looking ahead of the dream of stuff and building a life of ease. That's the dream. That's the false dream. That's what captures the heart. And there's a consequence to that. When you invest in the dream of ease, you will die with regret. You'll die with regret. Now, some of you, you, you may hear that and, and you say, well, that sounds, um, that sounds like you're manipulating me to give money. <laughs> no, 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 no. When you think eternally, your whole mindset changes. The way that you see changes. And if this is foreign, this is new to you, I want you to consider the value of the gift of God's grace towards us. We'll come back to that, but I want you to consider that. But may we not be too quick to distance ourselves from the challenge. So the immediate thing to think of is what are you and I, what are we investing in that is simply about a life of ease? The problem is that keeps us from being rich towards God. Now, let me give you a counterexample to this. I want to take you to the book of 2 Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul. If you're newer to the Bible, Paul used to be Saul, had this supernatural encounter with God. Saul was out persecuting Christians. God spoke to him, and then Paul became this missionary, this church planner, and, and wrote all these letters that make up a lot of the New Testament. And he would write to these churches, and he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Now, I, I referenced this briefly a couple weeks ago, but it's such a good example. I want to I pause and dig into it a little bit more. But he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And Corinth is a, it's a wealthy seaport town. If you clicked on Eat, Drink, and Be Merry at the time, you could probably see a picture of Corinth. That's what you've got. Now, Paul <clears throat> had planted this church back in uh, Acts chapter 18. He has this, uh, he's a tent maker. He's working, and he encounters this uh, wonderful couple, Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers in Corinth, and they you know, they come to faith in Christ and they start this little church and, you know, almost a couple decades later, the Corinthians um, are in an awkward position because Paul has said, look, the church at Jerusalem is really struggling right now. There's been a famine. They don't have any funds. They're persecuted. We need to help them. So he's on this fundraising tour and the Corinthians have said, sure, Paul, we're all in. And it's a couple months away from the time to collect. And they haven't, haven't done it. Have you ever overpromised as a follower of Jesus? That's another sermon, put that aside. Guilty. But now Paul's got a dilemma. He can say, hey, I'm, I'm Paul. You better pay up. But he's going to use a different strategy. He's going to, to have a different technique here. He's going to say this. I want to take you to uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. 
And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. What is grace? Theologically, it is unmerited favor. It's something you don't deserve. It is a gift. It is a gift. Sometimes, though, and here's my belief, we look at grace kind of like my Waterford crystal candlesticks. We don't really appreciate the value. And you know what those candlesticks are doing right now? They're not burning, but they're on a shelf, and they're just sitting there, and they're not put into use. I won't burn the metaphor to death. I'll just leave it there. But I didn't... We don't appreciate the value of grace sometimes. Some of us, we don't really need it. Am I really that? Do I really need Jesus? Some of you today, maybe for the first time, you're like, you know what? Grace is more than just a get out of hell free card. Grace is more than just this is an offer for you to avoid eternal punishment. Oh my goodness, grace is so much more than that. There's the grace that saves, that says, okay, I was once lost, I was once separated, I was once far from God, I was once just about myself, and and then I had this offer, this invitation to receive. But it's also a grace that sustains me and, and helps me see and all these things. And Paul is going to point to this. Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This is the Macedonian churches. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So what's the deal with the Macedonian churches? They are materially poor. They're poor. Materially they are poor, but yet they can see the grace of God. They can see it. They can value it appropriately and respond with generosity. They can respond with generosity. There's something about that. They're overflowing joy in the midst of a very severe trial. This all wells up in rich generosity. We talk about a rhythm. It's unforced. We talked about these unforced rhythms of grace. Welling up is an unforced rhythm here. That's what they're experiencing. First of all, to the Lord, okay, I get it, I see grace, I want to give. And then to us, the specific opportunity comes up and they respond. Now, on a metric of a life of ease, where do the Macedonian churches sit? They're on the low end of that but yet they are rich because of how they're able to respond. 
Now, Paul's not guilting anybody into anything. He is going to challenge them, though. He's going to challenge them to see. Because these Macedonian churches, when they really got it, everything changed. Sometimes we talk about faith as kind of this intellectual ascent. You know, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ, and the stool's going to hold me up, and, and that's all well and good. But it's so much more than that. There's a joy that we have available to us. Let's continue. Verse 6, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on our part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul's going to give them a list and say, you're really good at these things. You're good at Bible studies. You're good at understanding doctrine. You're good at all these things. Great. Don't give that up. But these things that are in here and in process, make it tangible. Make it real is what he's going to say. Excel in giving. Excel. Verse 8, I am not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. This word comparison, I've just got to be just straightforward. I don't like comparison. You know, there's a saying, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, and I think there's truth in that. But Paul's going to use comparison a different way. Not to guilt, but to spur on. To put that side by side and, and, and not, oh, look how wonderful these people are, but look how they've seen and experienced the joy of following Jesus. And I want you to have that too. I want you to excel in that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know, you know, and a biblical understanding of no is not just here. It's here and it's here. It's the whole deal. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the picture of Jesus. Now, we'll talk sometimes about having a functional Bible. What are your go-tos? You need to go to Philippians 2 on this and see this picture of Jesus who, though being in very nature God, can you be any more rich than that? Though being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. He became poor for us and took on the very nature of a servant. He took on flesh and he died for us on the cross. That's the gospel. Jesus who had everything, rich, not like rich as a carpenter, I don't want to get into that prosperity stuff, but you know, like being in very nature, God set that aside, poured himself out for us. See that love, that's the gospel. Now, let's put these pictures side by side for just a moment. We've got the parable, we've got the man in the crowd, we've got the Macedonian churches. 
And let me connect it and give you a bottom line here. When you invest in the dream of ease, you rob yourself of the joy of impact. When you invest in the dream of ease, you rob yourself of the joy of impact. Let that sit on you for just a moment. And as you consider that, as you think about that in your brain and you allow that to penetrate, let me give you a couple steps to think about this week. Let me give you a what now. So what? When you invest in the dream of ease, you rob yourself of the joy of impact. Let me give you three what nows, three takeaways for the week. First of all, Scripture calls us to test the sincerity of your love. Test the sincerity of your love. Maybe we'd be spurred on by this scripture to test, is it a get-to or a got-to for you? If I don't have any joy, if it's always a got-to, test the sincerity of that. There's an urgency, there's an earnestness to the Macedonian churches that say, we can't wait to participate in this. We can't wait to do this. That's their mindset. That's what we put side by side. That's the little bit of the pebble in the shoe here that says, oh, oh. Sometimes I, I can look at this and I can say, well, I feel kind of mediocre sometimes. I want to be, I want to be excellent in this. Test the sincerity of your love. The second thing, take a step towards excellence. Take a step towards excellence. Maybe for some it's a first step. It's a first step to give back, to say I, I'm beginning to grasp the gospel. I'm beginning to think about that gift and it really means something and I want to respond. Some it's maybe to incorporate a rhythm of generosity, a practice, a habit. And for others it's, um, it's a step into greater generosity. But I believe the Lord wants us to excel in giving. Now, finally, <clears throat> we are to experience the joy of building together with God. To experience that joy. If you're like me, um, sometimes we can, we can have a romanticized view of this. Anybody ever have unmet expectations? You poured yourself into it and you didn't get much in your return. And you say, this was harder than I thought it was going to be. It took longer than I thought it was going to be. And it was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. God, what are you up to? I was reminded of this uh, challenge uh, yesterday, of all things. Uh, had the opportunity, I, I'll, I'll share, this is kind of my, my you know, when we had the little get-together question there at the beginning, I'll, this is kind of my answer to that, but had the opportunity to uh, work with my dad, uh, my son-in-law, and his dad in breaking ground on a deck. We rented the auger, and we got the one man, then we needed to get the two man, and let's just say we got off to a rough start. It's hard to see. It was hard to look ahead and say, God, what are, what, are you, what are you up to here? 
Ironically, we were on Leisure Lane building the deck. But we're in a literal building project. And we got through and, you know, we, we, we made decent progress. And it, at one point, um, I think it was my dad who said, is this a get to or a got to? <laughs> I said, well, the last hour's kind of been a got to. When we're lifting up the, the auger that's stuck in the mud and all those things. And then I got home and I started to think about this. I mean, really think about this. And then I was reminded, like 14 years ago, my dad and I had the opportunity to break ground on my deck. And I was coming off cancer and long story there, but, but now we were tougher than then. We'd like dug them with post hole diggers. We didn't need the auger. But I was, I was thinking at the time how hard that was but then I was able to, to look and I was thinking of that deck and that deck was, has been a place of so many great things, so many good conversations, spiritual conversations, talking with kids far from God about Jesus, family times, critical conversations, hard times too, like fireworks blowing up, almost burning the deck down. That's another story. <laughs> but so much has happened in that place. God has worked in that place. And I think that's a little picture, a glimpse of what it can be like. So I'm, I'm digging that, and I'm tired yesterday, and I'm thinking, you know what? I, I want to look ahead, and I want to see what's going to happen on that deck someday. How will God work on that deck? So even though it's hard right now, it's taking longer, it's going to cost more, hopefully my back's going to hold up, all those things. But there's a vision of joy that we've got to have eyes to see. And I believe that's a glimpse, that's a glimpse, that's a metaphor, that's a signpost of what it can be like. We put our faith, we put our trust, and we have eyes to see the value of the gift and God's grace and say, yes, I want to give because there's impact that can happen. Amen? Well, now we're going to have a moment in our service where we get to practice this. We don't want to just hear it, but we get to actually practice giving. We actually get to do this. It's not a got to, it's a get to. We get to do it. And, and some of you got a you know, regular practice set up and you give online and you do those things. Others, we've got envelopes right here. But let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you today. May we open up and see the generosity, see God's grace and enjoy may we give together because this isn't about building decks we got kids away at camp we got we got impact partners throughout the world that when we give we are changing lives today for generations to come and that's the opportunity we have today when we give back so may we respond in generosity let's pray father we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your generosity. We want to see that clearly and respond as you would have us respond. So thank you for my friends today. Touch our hearts and minds today as we give back to you and use those gifts. Multiply them for your glory, your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.